Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. All right. If you have a Bible, turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Now, we have been looking at the book of Ephesians. We have been studying it together. Today, we are going to look at the next section, and then we are going to celebrate in communion together. So hopefully you picked up a communion cup on your way in here today if you did not get one. If you want to just put your hand up, we'll have uh, Pastor Grant will distribute those, and we will, at the end of the message, take communion uh, here today. We have been studying through the book of Ephesians. We have found ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. It's divided into those three sections in the book of Ephesians, sitting, walking, and standing. Sitting, learning to rest and receive from God, first three chapters. Then chapter 4, we turn the corner, we start learning how to walk. How do we live this out and walk this life out together? How do I live as the best representative for God in my life? Now, all of this is dependent upon chapter 4, verse 1, which sets the context Chapter 4, verse 1, it says these words. Paul writes, Therefore I, a prisoner for the Lord, I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. You were called as a Christian. You were called to be God's, to surrender to him, to follow him. Walk in a manner worthy of that. So the question every week I have been asking is this, are you walking in a manner worthy of God? Would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or would God say, boy, we need some improvement here. This is not appropriate. This is not the way that I want you to live. What is walking in a manner worthy of him look like? Well, it happens to be looking like someone who walks with complete humility, with gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love. And again, I've said it many times, are you doing that? Putting up with one another in love is the challenge because sometimes people are hard to deal with. Sometimes people are hard to put up with. Sometimes people are messy and they're irritating and they can be frustrating. But we are called to put up with them in love. Instead of being angry and petty over things, I need to be forgiving and kind and put up with people because they need to put up with me. Well, that context sets the stage for where we find ourselves today in chapter 4, verse 25. And in chapter 4, verse 25, what we're going to look at is we're going to spend two weeks covering 25 through 32. We're going to look at four different things. But the title of today's message is this, Stop Being So Angry. Now, right there, some of you may want to get up and walk out, but you can't because then people will know if you walk out that you have an anger issue. So we don't want you to do that. You're just going to have to sit and stay. You're kind of trapped now and stuck now as we talk about anger. In fact, we're going to look at some things in 25 through 32 over the next two weeks that are going to be like I'm reading your mail. 
They're going to be like, I have been peeking inside of your house, which I haven't, by the way. But it's going to look like that because the things we're going to talk about are things perhaps that are right there deep down in your heart that you are wrestling with. Let's read 25 through 32 and let's dive into this in our limited time here today. Starts with these words. Remember last week, Paul had said this, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like everybody else who is walking according to the course of the world. These pagans that are a mess, their mind is messed up. They don't live according to the morality of God. They don't understand truth. They don't walk in the truth. Instead, they're walking in darkness. I want you to take off that old self, he says. Take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. And then Paul writes this. So lay aside lying. And each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. By the way, that is a quote right out of Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16 in the Old Testament. Speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, nor give the devil a foothold. The one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, he must work, doing something useful with his own hands. So he may have something to share with the one who has need. Let no harmful word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up, building others up according to the need so that it gives grace to those who hear it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh in the Hebrew of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's kind of the key verse in all of it. Whatever you do, don't grieve God. Is God pleased or is God grieved in your life? Whatever you do, don't grieve God because you are sealed in him for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and quarreling and slander along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other just as God in Messiah also forgave you. We're going to spend two weeks, we're going to look at four things. The four things that we are going to look at over these next two weeks out of what Paul just said are these. We're going to learn how to respond with truth. We're going to learn how to resolve your anger. We're going to learn how to review your words. Then we're going to learn how to reconsider your responses. We'll look at the first two today. The next two next week. Let's start with number one. And that is this, respond with truth. Again, what did Paul say? What did he write? He said this, so lay aside lying and each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. A couple of things in here that we are called to do. Number one, stop lying. Number two, speak the truth. Again, this is based out of Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, which says there are two things that you shall do. Speak the truth with one another. In your judgments, make sure that they are true and they make for peace. That's what Zechariah chapter 8 says. This is God's heart. God's heart is truth. It is wrapped up in truth. The first thing in healthy relationships is start speaking the truth with each other. Do you know that we are natural born liars when it comes to life? Let me give you some examples of how we lie. A person comes up to you and he says this, or she says this, how you doing? And your natural response is fine. 
That's what everybody says. Fine. That may not be the truth, but that's what you have been trained to say. Do you know what not speaking the truth would mean? What the, the word is? It's, it's lying. I'm lying instantly when I say that. And you may think, well, nobody really cares. They don't want to know what I'm really going through. But that doesn't matter. We are called to speak the truth in love. The truth doesn't have to be harsh, it doesn't have to be mean, it doesn't have to be aggressive, but it is there to provide help, and it's the first step of a healthy relationship. Instead of lying, speak the truth. Guys, when your wife says to you after you've asked her, honey, is there anything wrong, and she says, no, nothing, that's a lie. You need to dig further into that. When you say to her, what have I done? Have I done anything wrong? And she says, no. That's a lie. And you need to dig further into that. Ladies, you need to tell the truth. Speak the truth. We have been trained not to tell the truth because that's more comfortable. It doesn't have to be harsh. It doesn't have to be mean. For example, the man whose wife came up to him and said, with this brand new dress on that she had just received, and she said to her husband, honey, does this dress make me look fat? The guy said, no, your, that dress does not make you look fat. It's your hips that make you look fat. That's the problem. That's not okay. The truth has to be tapered with love. As what I am saying going to provide love and grace. Nobody cares just about your opinion. They want truth, but it has to be in love. For, give me give you an example of this. If you were afraid of offending somebody, and you just you didn't want to hurt their feelings, you didn't want to say anything, and I came up to you and I said to you, and you didn't want to hurt my feelings, but I said to you, I said, Stephen, do I have something in my teeth? Now, I, and maybe I had a big piece of spinach in my teeth. And he doesn't want to offend me, so he says, no, no, you're fine. And then I go around the rest of the day, and I smile at everybody that I see, and I have spinach stuck in my teeth. It's going to be harmful and embarrassing for me. It could have been avoided if he had just spoken the truth. But he didn't because he didn't want to offend well, that's, not, that's unhealthy. Paul tempers it with this. He says, lay aside lying, speak truth with your neighbor. 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Why? Because we are, as he says here, we are members of one another. That means we have an impact upon each other. God wants us to speak truth because we have an impact. We have an effect upon each other's life. And so if Stephen would have just told me the truth, it would have been a far less impactful event than walking around all day with spinach in my teeth. We are called to speak the truth even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's painful. We are not looking to hurt people, but we have to deal in a very healthy way. And that's what God has called us to do. Speak the truth, each one of you, with your neighbor, Quit pretending. Quit putting on a mask. Quit saying the things that are going to, you think it's just going to keep me out of trouble. No, I want you to speak the truth, God says. Why do we speak the truth? Well, it's so that we can learn how to resolve our anger. Now, this is where it's really going to start feeling uncomfortable. As I talk about, what does it mean to resolve our anger? Well, I want you to know something. Anger reveals things about you. If you have anger in your heart, it reveals things about your life and your mind and your thinking. It reveals things about you. Here are some of the things that anger reveals. Number one, anger reveals what's in your heart. It reveals what's deep down inside of you. 
If you're getting angry about things that do not matter, it reveals what's really in your heart. Is God in your heart? Is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life? Is the Holy Spirit there? If so, it's going to be evident in your heart. Anger will reveal what's in your heart. If I am watching, in the fall, the Denver Broncos, and I am getting angry as I watch this game, what it reveals is what's really deep down in my heart. See, football can be entertaining, but it doesn't matter. It reveals what's in my heart. Number two, anger reveals what we value in life. It could reveal, if I get angry about the Broncos, it could reveal that I really value the Broncos. If your car, your brand new car, gets a paint scratch, it reveals, and you get tremendously angry about this, it reveals what's what, what I value. And I really value that car more than people, perhaps. Anger also reveals our level of maturity. The most immature people get the angriest in life. The more maturity you begin to have in life, the less angry you tend to be. The more you learn how to deal with your anger and process your anger. Anger reveals the level of the fruit of the Spirit. How much has the Holy Spirit really taken over in my life? Anger finally also reveals the level of selfishness in our lives. Because most often, what we get the most angry about are very selfish things. It's when I am affected. Not about what God would be angry about, it's what I feel angry about. Let's dive a little bit deeper into this. Because in the Bible, amazingly, in the Bible, the Bible reveals different levels of anger. I don't know if you knew this. If you start studying anger in the Bible, you study the words used to describe anger, it will reveal to you how anger actually works. Look at this with me. Level one anger, the biblical level of anger, is the Greek word orge or orgizo, and it just means the natural emotion of anger. Here's what Paul writes. Be angry, yet do not sin. The word anger is the word, again, orge or orgizo. And that's the word here. What is Paul saying? He's saying anger is okay. You can be angry. Anger is an emotion that people have. However, you can't cross the line with your anger. You can be angry, you can't sin in your anger. How do we do that? Well, I want to read a quote to you from a guy by the name of Arthur Pink. Arthur Pink was a theologian, a pastor, an author from late 1800s to the mid-1900s. Here's what he said. He said, anger is not in itself unlawful. There is a virtuous anger. To be indignant for the cause of God when his glory is degraded, his name dishonored, and his people maligned results in a holy anger. There is an allowable anger when we are unjustly provoked by offenses against ourselves, but here we need to be on guard that we do not sin. A vicious anger which darkens the understanding and makes one act as in a frenzy is out of bounds. 
let us give some rules for restraining and repressing anger. First, labor and pray for a meek spirit. Think humbly of yourself, and you will not be angered if others slight you. Second, think often of God's patience. How often we give him occasion to be angry with us, yet he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Third, be aware of prejudice against any, for it is sure to misinterpret their actions. Finally, shun angry persons. Fire quickly spreads. What does that last one mean? It means don't associate with people who have an anger problem. Keep some distance because that will affect you and impact you. Paul's first command is this. Be angry, yet don't sin. So what would that mean? It's okay to feel the emotion. It's okay to be offended by the things that offend God. Make sure that you're angry about the things, same things that God would be angry about. Don't be angry about things that would not anger God. It's okay to be angry, to have that emotion, and that's where it stops. That's where I learn to deal with it. So how do I deal with this? How do I be angry yet not sin? Well, here's how. I process it. I hold my tongue. I step back from the situation and I think about this. I ask for forgiveness for myself. I extend forgiveness to another person if that is what is necessary. The more I talk through this, the more I let go of this, the more my anger will be resolved. However, if I'm angry and I blow up, if I'm angry and I lash out in words or in actions, if somebody cuts me off in traffic and I find their car in the parking lot and I puncture their tires, that's sinning. That is crossing the line of sin. You can be angry and deal with it and process it and resolve it and go to the Lord with it and let go of it and forgive it and deal with it at the moment. If you do, you have handled it right. You have been angry and you have not sinned in your anger. As soon as it moves from here, sin begins to happen. Let me show you how that works. Level two, anger. Level one, natural emotion. Level two is the Greek word paragismos or paragizo, and it means seething, churning, under the surface, stuffed anger. The verb means an irritant. It has become an irritant. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look again at the words. Paul says this, be angry, that's orge. That is, have the natural emotion of anger. Don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, this is the other word, paragosmos. Two different words. So what does Paul say? Be angry. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on stuffing your anger. That's the second word. What happens for most people is this. They are angry. They have the emotion of anger, but they never deal with it. It's never forgiven. It's never let go. It is never resolved. It is never talked through. Instead, what do people do? They just stuff it. And the more and more you stuff that anger down, the more it starts to eat away at you on the inside. That stuffed anger 
is kind of like what happens in a volcano before the volcano erupts. It is a magma flow that is red hot, that is churning around and eating away at the insides. Some of you have been carrying anger all of your lives and you have stuffed it down and pushed it down and it has been eating away at you like a toxin. And that eating away at you has been wrecking your life. And it's not just your life, it has been wrecking the lives of people in your life. Stuffing it, pushing it down. In Ephesians 6, and we will get to this later, Paul uses the same word. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does he mean by that? He says this to the fathers, don't cause your children to stuff their anger. Teach them how to process and resolve and deal with and let go of and go to God with their anger rather than stuffing it down. If you cause your children to stuff their anger, guess who's going to pay for it? Their future wife, their future husband, their future children, the people they work with, because they have been taught to stuff their anger, to push it down and never resolve it, and they're carrying it with them like garbage bags the rest of their life until they can finally learn how to resolve it and how to work through it and how to deal with it. So Paul says, it's okay to be angry. You're going to have times in your life that you're angry. But when you are, that's the moment of time it has to be resolved and dealt with and overcome. That's the time that you need the Holy Spirit the most. That's the time you need to process it the most. That's the time you need to resolve it. If you don't, it will be stuffed. And if it's stuffed and it's like eating away at the inside of you, it will turn into what's known as the number three. And the number three is the Greek word thumos. Thumos is where we get our word thermal. And it means explosive anger, wrath, rage, and passion. What happens in life is picture the volcano that I have been just pushing things down and it's flowing around all of a sudden I'm going to explode and I just erupt and it could be over a little thing a minor thing and I just like a volcano explodes it is just flying out of me everywhere and that is thumos because I have stuffed it for so long and I've never dealt with and I've carried it so long now that anger just erupts and it spews red hot lava all over me and my children and my family and my work associates and for some of you that's describing your life today or somebody close to you or somebody you work with it's like I don't know what's going to set them off. Just something triggers and it's an explosion. And I didn't see that coming anywhere. And you are left to feel the damage. The lava has just sprayed all over you. And amazingly, after a person explodes, they feel better. But you don't. Or you have exploded, you feel better, but they don't. And that's how the explosion works. What happens typically is this cycle of raging and reloading. 
or this cycle of, of stuffing, building up pressure and releasing. So a person blows up and they feel better, but the pressure starts building and you don't know when, but something is going to set them off again and they'll explode again and you will be left to feel the results of that. So that's Thumos. Paul says this a few verses later that we will actually talk about next week. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger. So those three words, bitterness, rage, anger, are part of those levels. Get rid of the anger. Get rid of the explosions. Get rid of the bitterness if you want to be healthy. Again, the whole concept of this is Paul saying, here's what it means to walk this out, to, to put up with one another in love. You can't put up with each other in love until you first dealt with yourself. So get rid of your anger and deal with your anger and be angry, but don't sin in your anger and don't stuff your anger and don't explode your anger. And the fourth level turns into what's called, it's the Greek word choleo or pikria, and it means bitterness or poison to be filled with bitter anger and indignation. Acts chapter 8, verse 23, Peter is giving, he is ministering to the people. There's a, a man named Simon who had, who had received the Lord, and he saw the Holy Spirit working. He wanted the Holy Spirit. He was greedy. And Peter looked at him and said, I, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. That's what this is. It's a bitterness. A bitter heart, a bitter desire. Again, Paul said, get rid of the bitterness. That's what he's talking about. Bitterness is a poison. The word pikria literally means poison. And that's what bitterness becomes for people. It is a poison that you have drank, hoping that it would impact somebody else. I want other people to suffer, so I'm going to drink the poison thinking that's what it's going to do. Those are the four levels. Natural emotion, stuffing my anger, blowing up in my anger, and then it's never been resolved and it turns into deep-seated bitterness in my life. Why do I bring this up? Why does Paul bring this up? Well, he gives the clue in the very beginning. Be angry, yet do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, nor give the devil a foothold. The word foothold means an opportunity, or it means his foot is in the door. If Satan could get a foothold, he will then build a stronghold, and he will start impacting everything in you. So don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give him a foothold. Best example of foothold that I can think of, well, I think of two examples. One is, um, I remember Jennifer and I being very young, uh, which was not long ago. It doesn't seem like. Um, today is her birthday, by the way, if you want to tell her happy birthday. Uh, two weeks ago, you sang to me, so I expect the same treatment, uh, at least, you know, nothing less than that. But I remember being young and, you know, just young and in love and just, just messing around and, and um, not in a bad way. I mean, it sounds bad. Uh, being young, chasing her, like chasing her around the house with, with a cup of water. I'm going to throw a cup of water on you, chasing her around the house, you know, and just, okay, it was just last week, but uh, no, you know, 30 years ago. 
and she would go into a room and she would try to close the door and I remember getting my foot stuck between the door and the frame and so she couldn't close the door and because she couldn't close the door I was I, well still am I think much I was much stronger than her I think I still am much stronger than her um, she's surprisingly strong though <laughs> anyway she could not close the door because my foot was in the door. And because she could not close the door, I could keep pushing and eventually I could get in. And that was the way that a foothold worked. Once the foot is in the door, it is hard to close it. If you give Satan a foothold and an opportunity, he will keep taking more. When the allies stormed the beaches in Normandy, when they were invading Europe and or taking back Europe from the invasion of, of the Nazis. Once they, a tremendous loss of life, but once they got on the beaches and they got a beach hold, a foothold on the beaches, then they could start setting up supply lines. They could bring in ships and more materials and more you know, ammunition or, or ordinances or anything. They could bring it in and they could start building up their supply in order to keep moving forward. When the Allies got their feet on the beach, it was a foothold. When they kept moving in, that foothold became a stronghold. And now the Nazis are not taking this back. In the same way, when Satan gets a foothold, he will turn it into a stronghold that he can launch operations out of until you fight back. How do you fight back? I have to have the Lord help me. I've got to process and resolve and deal with all of this anger that I have been carrying, all of this bitterness that I have been carrying, and let God take the ground back that Satan has taken over. When that happens, life begins to change. And I can begin to walk in a manner worthy of him. Let me wrap this up. And we're going to go to communion here in just a moment. But I want to wrap it up with this challenge toward you. Number one, are you that person that I'm describing who has anger? And that anger has never been dealt with. You've been carrying it for years. Maybe you have been carrying it since childhood. And that anger has been eating away at you. Maybe you have been that explosive person. Who knows what's going to set you off? Something does. Something triggers it, and you explode. You've been carrying this around, and it's been eating away at you. It's been a poison. It's turned into bitterness. And if you want to be healthy, it's going to take God saying, Lord, please help me. Please forgive me. Please help me resolve this. I don't want this as I go forward. I need you to carry this burden for me. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you have dealt with this. Or maybe that's the person you're married to today. Or the person who's one of your children that you're dealing with. Whatever that issue is, bring it before the Lord. Lord, I need you. Please help me to resolve this. I want to be angry and not sin in my anger as you have commanded. I don't want Satan to have a foothold in my life because it is destroying me. It is wrecking others. And I am playing right into Satan's hand by so doing. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I pray today for those among us that our hearts would be touched and changed by you. 
there are some of us in this room that have been carrying around a weight of anger for so long and it's wrecking them. It's wrecking their marriage. It's wrecking their children. Lord, I pray today that it would be dealt with in you. That they would say before you, Lord, please take this burden from me. I don't want to be angry anymore. And all of this anger that I feel, I want to learn, how do I resolve this, Lord? How do I, in your grace, learn how to resolve this anger that I'm carrying? I don't want it to eat away at me. I want peace. I want peace in my heart and in my mind. I'm tired of feeling this way. So, Lord, please fix the bitterness. Fix the explosiveness. Fix the stuffed anger and help me to heal from the inside out. Father, we thank you that you love us enough that you're willing to speak truth into our lives. Thank you that you love us enough that you bring people in our lives that would speak the truth in love because they see these things as well. Father, thank you for this time now that we are going to be able to share communion. I pray, Father, for your blessing upon the rest of this day and this week. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.